Before we begin, let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we just bow before you as our King, our Father and our friend, as our healer, our redeemer, and our strong tower in uh, times of need and in times of trouble. Lord, we know you have each given us a free will to choose which way we, we go. But Lord, you do not give up on us. You continuously try to draw us unto yourself in a deeper way. And sometimes you use measures, Lord, that we don't like or appreciate, but in the end, we know that they are necessary, even as we teach and train our own children. Lord, in this way, in, in, in this way, we just thank you for that, Father. We thank you that you are faithful, that you don't leave us where we're at, but that you desire to show us and to bring us on to a deeper walk with you, a deeper trust, a deeper faith. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your presence. And uh, you just encourage us through this, through your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I guess uh, you all know that I tried to cross the border, but was denied. I guess I had a, quite a bit of time for introspection, just uh, thoughts, and basically looking at my own life and my own heart and uh, circumstances in our fellowship and just things that we go through and experience, especially recently. And, and uh, I don't think it was wasted, even though still trying to see the silver lining in it at all. I don't think there are coincidences in a Christian's life. I think everything has a purpose, even if we don't see it. There's something there, and uh, <clears throat> I guess that's this is why I always want to ask God. We always want to ask God to show us each day what He's trying to teach us and He's trying to show us. So that may have been a small disappointment, a small trial, but I know that. We do face greater trials than that. And uh, if you're anything like me, it seems like we sometimes lose sight of reality. We tend to forget that we live in a sin-cursed world. We forget that we are but strangers and pilgrims passing through this world. And we tend to forget that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we need to keep that in remembrance. And if, if you've studied the Bible, you see 
that as followers of Christ, we are not promised a carefree life. I found that out already, as hard as it is. We are not promised a carefree life because I feel that that is not how Christ works in our lives. But the enemy of our souls, Satan, is constantly roaming around seeking whom he may devour. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And this enemy has over 6,000 years of experience in what it takes to destroy the souls of human beings. He uses all kinds of tactics to weaken and destroy our faith in God. And one of the greatest tactics that Satan uses is to try to get us to question God, like he did with, uh, with Eve in the garden. He says, did God really say Did God really say? And no, it's not always wrong to question why we go through these things, why we go through trials, but it is wrong to question in this way and to twist the truth of God and what he has said. So this life is full of trials and hardships, As people look at sickness and disease, sin, wars and calamities, they generally say, if God is such a loving and caring God, why are these things happening? And from the beginning, God has given to man a free will to choose between right and wrong, a free will to make their own choices. Man is not a pre-programmed being. Man makes decisions and choices that impact their own lives and others around them. If you take wars, for instance, like World War II, an estimated total of 70 to 85 million people perished in that war. Is God to blame for that? Is God to blame for that? No. And I think we can all say no. This is the result of the depravity of the human heart. It's the result of greed, hate, envy, and maliciousness. Because war has a tendency to reveal the true heart of a person who is without God. It turns people into animals. And we question and we ask, but where was God in all of this? And... You have to come to the place in your heart and life where you believe God was where he has always been. He was there protecting. He was there guiding his children through it all. Did some perish? Yes. Did some suffer? Yes. But through it all, he was there. And through all these things, God is sovereign over all. And that's ultimately where we have to come to. For a reading, <coughs> I want to go to Hebrews chapter 11, 
verses 32 to 40. We're all very familiar with these verses. Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 40, and he says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, but David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. So we always have to keep these verses in mind when we think of this world and its trials. And as you look at the lives of the godly men and women, you see their lives marked with hardships and tests. It seems some more than others. Hebrews 11 gives us a glimpse of some of their lives. One sentence in these verses gives us a striking realization of what it means to be children of God. And that is, the world was not worthy of them. So, um, In James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So when difficult times come into our lives, the enemy is very quick to throw doubts and questions into our minds. We can easily find ourselves questioning God's goodness or God's wisdom in allowing trials to happen to us. We may even become bitter and angry with God for allowing a trial and wonder if he really understands or cares. But God's word confidently reminds us that God does not that God does understand and that trials do not just happen haphazardly to us with no reason or no purpose behind them. James also reminds us that God wants us to trust him and understand that he knows why he is allowing us to go through trials. For we trust that God is using trials to mold us and mature us more into the image of Christ, so that when hard times come, we will react to them in a Christ-like way. 
And a lot of times, also I have to come to the conclusion. That in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, said Jehovah. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I've had to rest in that a lot. That his ways are higher than our ways. So that's one of the first things we have to remember. Is that when we go through trials, it's that God is with us. He's with us. Because... A lot of times we have this feeling that when we face trials that God is so far away. He seems so distant. We feel all alone in our struggles. But we have to remember that God never leaves nor forsakes us. So, again, when we face trials... A lot of times we feel that God is far away. He's distant. We feel alone in our struggles. I've often felt lonely. Through the things that I struggled with, I just wanted to hear God's voice, hear something. But you come back to that verse that says, He never leaves nor forsakes us. I've often had to just, okay, Lord, here it is. This is what you've promised. You never leave nor forsake us. He patiently waits upon us. And in Romans 8, we see that God is in control of our circumstances. And Paul reminds us, that nothing can separate us from God's love. It says, 35 to 39, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's quite the promise. And this has been proven again and again. That if we simply find or if we simply trust in God or if we simply stand upon his promises, there is nothing that can separate us. Nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. I think the thing that separates us from the love of Christ is often ourselves. It is our love of the world, our lukewarmness. We're trying to serve two masters. 
selfishness and the like. And building character <coughs> and strength. I have a short uh, illustration here on building character and strength, like a lot of these things do. Uh, in 2 Timothy three ten to 12, it says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So on, uh, as it says here, on December 29, 1987, a Soviet cosmonaut returned to Earth after 326 days in orbit. He was in good health, which hasn't always been the case in those record-breaking voyages. Five years earlier, touching down after 211 days in space, two cosmonauts suffered from dizziness, high pulse rates, and heart palpitations. They couldn't walk for a week, and after 30 days, they were still undergoing therapy for atrophied muscles and weakened hearts. At zero gravity, the muscles of the body begin to waste away because there is no resistance. To counteract this, the Soviets prescribed a vigorous exercise program for the cosmonauts. They invented the penguin suit, a running suit laced with elastic bands. It resists every move the cosmonauts make, forcing them to exert their strength. Apparently, the regimen is working. We often dreamily, or we long dreamily for days without difficulty, but God knows better. The easier our life, the weaker our spiritual fiber. For strength of any kind grows only by exertion. And I've seen this in my own life. If everything is going well, I tend to become lazy and sporadic in my relationship with Christ. So, as I was saying... Um, with this, this cosmonaut here, they had this, uh, basically this penguin suit, a running suit laced with elastic bands. It resists every move the cosmonauts make, forcing them to exert their strength. And it's just the way it is in our lives that we tend to become lazy and sporadic in our relationship with Christ, anyway, I do. So in a natural world, as we look at some people who are into fitness or are skilled with certain talents, it seems like if you don't keep practicing and exercising, you tend to lose what you have gained. And I don't think it's any different in our spiritual lives. We grow used to the comforts and security that we have here, and we feel that it should always be so. And don't get me wrong, I'm very thankful for the freedoms and privileges that we have. But the danger is that we can easily be lulled to sleep in that. And I often catch myself thinking that, wow, we make, uh, we, uh, make such a big issue out of trivial things. And... Uh, it just shows us the condition of our hearts and its affection. 
In 1 Peter 4, 12-13, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So some of the trials we face will be less intense than others, but there are trials nonetheless. I believe that the trials and temptations in life are put there in order to prepare us for the times when God will use us so that we can help others who basically experience similar struggles. So, and God is always there to help us through it, to comfort us. Uh, I found this short writing by James Packer. He said, Grace is God drawing sinners closer and closer to him. How does God in grace accomplish this purpose? Not by shielding us from assault of the flesh and the devil, nor by protecting us from burdensome and frustrating circumstances, not yet by shielding us from troubles created by our own temperament and psychology, but rather by exposing us to all these things so as to overwhelm us with a sense of our own inadequacy to drive us to cling to him more closely. This is the ultimate reason from our standpoint why God fills our lives with troubles and perplexities of one sort and another. It is to ensure that we shall learn to hold him fast. The reason why the Bible spends so much of its time reiterating that God is a strong rock, a firm defense and a sure refuge and help for the weak is that God spends so much of his time showing us that we are weak, both mentally and morally, and dare not trust ourselves to find or follow the right road. When we walk along a clear road feeling fine, and someone takes our arm to help us, likely we would impatiently shake him off. But when we are caught in rough country in the dark, with a storm brewing and our strength spent, and someone takes our arm to help us, we would thankfully lean on him. And God wants us to feel that our way through life is rough and perplexing, and that we may learn to lean on him, thankfully. Therefore, he takes steps to drive us out of self-confidence to trust in himself. To, in the classically scriptural phrase, the secret of the godly man's life, wait on the Lord. And I've seen a lot of times in my life that God indeed does that. It is to completely get us to totally depend on him because we have no other no other way or we have no other um, strength left we just that's where we are and uh, we just depend on him so um, in uh, Job I think we also, if you're speaking of trials, you have to mention Job. And the book of Job gives us a glimpse of what it means to be under a trial or test. We all know God allowed Satan to get at Job, but 
Job endured through it all. And in the end, everything was restored to him many times over. The question is, that I often ask is, does God still do that? Does he still say, have you considered my servant? And you can put your name in the blank there. And Satan replies, yes, but you have a hedge around him. Take away the hedge and let's see what he does then. And... uh, Maybe God still does that, even in our own lives. He points us out. He says, have you considered (coughs) my servant? And uh, the hedge, maybe there's a hedge around us that he takes away from time. He allows to be taken away from time to time, just to see what we would do and how we would handle it. So, uh, if you think of the example like we mature through the trials that we face in life. And as you think from uh, when you were a child, growing into, there were different challenges that you faced as you grew up as you became a young person, and then from that you became a parent. There are different challenges you face than into uh, even as grandparents. And just the different things that you faced. And uh, hopefully we did learn to trust God along the way in a deeper way. And there's illustration here of how much is a bar of steel worth A bar of steel worth $5, when made into ordinary horseshoes, is then worth $10. If the same $5 bar of steel is manufactured into needles, the value rises to $350. And yet, if it is made into delicate springs for expensive watches, it is worth more than $250,000. The same bar of steel is more valuable by being cut to its proper size, passed through one blast furnace after another, again and again, hammered and manipulated, beaten and pounded, finished and polished until it's ready for those delicate tasks. God does that with our lives. And sometimes we go through difficulties and hardships so that we can become more useful to God. But the secret is that we allow Him to do that. Because... I think we all understand and realize that um, a pearl never becomes a pearl without time. A diamond never becomes a diamond without a certain pressure or time. And uh, sometimes we also have to Think about perspective when we go through things. Gain a new perspective. And one of those things was a message that I listened to recently that someone sent me about, uh, it was Bodhi Bokum, I mean. And he basically told the story of Joseph in a, in a different way. And if, so if you think about Joseph, 
Think about him for a minute. And when he was at home with his father and his brothers. And uh, think about all he went through there. The betrayal. He was put down into the well. Uh, they basically wanted to kill him, but I think God's hand was there intervening, and he was spared from that. And then he was sold into slavery. He was taken to Egypt, where he was uh, also sold into slavery, to Potiphar's wife, uh, house. And then we all know the story of how there, uh, with Potiphar's wife, was eventually accused and then thrown into prison. He had to endure years of, of prison. And then finally, he was released from that. We all know how. And he came before Pharaoh. And he was made second in command of the kingdom. And uh, through all of that, Joseph never lost who he was. Even though they changed his name, he never lost who he was. He was, his identity of that he was a Hebrew, that he was serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and his father Jacob, never left him. And we can see that when he named his children uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. And then when his brothers came, he, we know that he had to wrestle through that uh, thing of, tri of taking revenge. We know that God had been working in his heart so that he would make the right choice there. But what struck me is what Odie Bakum said. If you look at the whole picture of the Bible, he said, who was all of this for? What Joseph endured, what was the purpose behind it? And yes, there's this one verse in the, in the Bible that says, if you, if you read it, it says, He said to them, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. But, he went, uh, Vodibaka went on to say, do you know who this was for, actually? And it made a lot of sense. He said, it was for Judah. Everything that Joseph went through was actually for Judah. Because the uh, promised seed came through Judah, not Joseph. So it was very interesting that Joseph had to go through all of this in his life for Judah. But it's also, I mean, I don't want to say for Judah. It's actually the bigger picture is for Christ. Because if Joseph would have never went to Egypt, what would have happened to their families? Would they have starved? And uh, so in the end, as you look at this story, it was actually, the whole point was he suffered for Christ. Because through what everything Joseph went through, 
in, and uh, of course, Judah had to still um, wrestle through his things that he went through to come to grips with what he had done to Joseph. But in the end, he still made the right decision. And in the end, the promised seed of Christ came through Judah. And in Psalms 78, <coughs> 67 to 68, it says, He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. So somehow, I think that through our trials and the things that we face, there is a bigger picture. And it's something that we may be missing or we may never know, but maybe someday it will be revealed to us. And uh, Tozer, a few more things here about Tozer. It says also in these things, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. In 7 Corinthians 12, 7, the experiences of men who walk with God in olden times agree to teach that the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. The degree of blessing enjoyed by any man will correspond exactly with the completeness of God's victory over him. We might well pray for God to <coughs> invade and conquer us, for until he does, we remain in peril from a thousand foes. We bear within us the seeds of our own disintegration. Deliverance can come to us only by the defeat of our old life. Safety and peace come only after we have been forced to our knees. God rescues us by breaking us, by shattering our strength and wiping out our resistance. Then he invades our natures with that ancient and eternal life which is from the beginning. So he conquers us and by that benign conquest saves us for himself. We are all idealists. We picture to ourselves a life on earth completely free from every hindrance, a kind of spiritual utopia where we can always control events, where we can move about as favorites of heaven, adjusting circumstances to suit ourselves. This, we feel, would be quite compatible with the life of faith and in keeping with the privileged place as uh, we hold as children of God. In thinking thus, we simply misplace ourselves. We mistake earth for heaven and expect conditions here below which can never be realized until we reach the better world above. While we live, we may expect troubles and plenty of them. We are never promised a life without problems as long as we remain among fallen men. What then are we to do with our problems? We must learn to live with them until such time as God delivers us from them. If we cannot remove them, then we must pray for grace to endure them without murmuring. Problems patiently endured will work for our spiritual perfecting. They harm us only when we resist them or endure them willingly. And I guess for me, I always think that underneath are the everlasting arms. They're always there, always shield us and protect us. 
And we cannot lose our joy. We cannot allow the enemy to take away the joy of the journey. I know we have our days and our struggles, but in the end, we hold fast to Christ and his promises. And we speak life and read his promises to our hearts. He has promised, again, like I said before, to never leave nor forsake us. And we cling to that. And one other thing that I have learned is even through my journey and uh, watching my wife growing weaker and slipping away more each day, I saw one thing, I've learned one thing, that Christ's grace is sufficient for each day. His grace is sufficient for today. And that's how it's always been. And in the end, in the end, he's coming back and and he'll make everything right. And uh, I want to close with Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. So imagine that. Imagine that phrase. The former shall not be remembered. So, we won't even remember this life. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create in Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that had not fulfilled his not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Rest the days of the tree are the days of my people. Mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. So that's something that we're looking forward to. And uh, so as we face these various trials, we learn that we cannot depend on our own strength. We learn that we must depend upon Christ in a deeper way and in that he will show us what it is that he wants to teach us.
So hopefully you got something out of that and uh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Didn't quite go the way I planned it, but um, it is what it is. And uh, God be the glory and may God bless you.